Welcome to our Sunday message, Sunday the 28th of August, 2022. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Our reading is from 1 Peter 1, 6 to 8. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua, the anointed, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. As always, we trust you, Holy Spirit, to speak through me, to teach us. We pray that you'd enlighten our eyes, that we might have eyes of understanding, that our minds might receive revelation. We pray, Lord, that no weapon formed against this word will prosper. And thank you that this word will reach whoever it is designed for and bring forth life, peace, and salvation in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. The title of this message is Precious Faith. It says there that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua the Anointed. Well, the question is, why is faith, from God's perspective, that is so precious? Is he just being poetic here? Or is there some reason why our faith is so very, very precious to God? Well, the truth is that faith is extremely precious to God for the simple reason that he must have it on the earth for him to manifest. This is quite a hard thing for people to grasp. You see, we've been trained to think that God is all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants, And that is true, but it is also true that God can limit himself, and he has, for very good reasons, limited himself. You see, you and I are created as individuals that have a will, and that will is extremely, extremely precious to God. The moment he overrides your and my will, we become robots, incapable of giving him love and receiving grace. Now, it's important to know, and this is something that we keep on stressing, we keep on renewing our minds about, God must have faith to operate. If you see the life of Christ, yes, he did come to the cross to buy salvation for humanity, yes, he demonstrated many great principles, ethical principles, moralistic principles, great love, but one of the great themes of his ministry was his effort to try and prompt his disciples and his followers, and by extension, us as well, to develop our faith. To develop our faith. The more faith he can find, the more he can manifest on the earth. You and I, if we can give him faith, he can do anything. All things are possible to him who believes. You see, and it takes quite a stretch of revelation to grasp this. Just how precious faith actually is. Just think about it. 
if you and I can give God faith, He can manifest in any area of our lives. Starting, of course, with salvation. That's the very starting point. God can save. Whomsoever believes shall be saved. But we have to believe, you see. We have to do the believing part. God does the rest, but we must do the believing. And it's important to grasp that this faith is very powerful. It's the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And it's available to every single believer. Everyone has been given, the Bible says, a measure of faith. That's not the issue. What is the issue is what you and I do with that faith. And it's precious. Now you see, with everything that's precious, it always costs something. Let me tell you, the devil knows this probably better than most Christians. And his whole effort on this earth is designed primarily to do one thing. To wreck your and my faith, the Christian's faith. He's been quite successful at it, to be honest. To the extent that most Christians are totally confused about this whole issue. But we can't afford to be confused. And my job is to spell it out as clearly as possible so that we are not confused. Let me say it for the hundredth time. If you and I cannot give God faith, his hands are tied. His hands are tied. That's why the child dies. That's why sickness prevails in many lives. That's why mayhem occurs throughout the earth. The church has not given God sufficient faith. And we need to rectify that. Now you see, you need to understand that faith is something that develops. It grows. It can grow. How, we don't really know. That's the truth of it. How, we don't know. In the same way you plant a seed, how that actual seed grows, I don't know. You don't know. I don't think anybody, any botanist can really explain it. However, what we do understand is that we have to do something for that seed to grow. And that seed grows in the right environment. The same with faith. You and I can have unlimited faith. Men of the past have demonstrated this. A simple plumber by the name of Smith Wigglesworth devoted his life to developing faith. And because of that, he raised the dead on more than one continent. I think on all four continents. Great works of faith he wrought but he was dedicated. He developed his faith. And you see, this passage explains something about developing faith. Notice what it says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. It takes a few things for faith to grow in the human spirit. And once again, it's my job to spell it out. First of all, we need to be fed properly. And the food that our faith needs is the Word of God, the unadulterated Word of God. Very bluntly, we need to know that what God thinks is right and true. And we need to feed our spirit with the truth. Very often that truth contradicts everything we've been taught in the natural. It goes against very many religious convictions. It's something that we've got to expand our understanding to receive. We have to renew our mind to receive. But if we do not receive truth, we cannot develop our faith. If we are not told that God wants you wealthy, He wants you to be healthy, 
He wants us to be strong, that He wants us to be protected and to live long lives. If we're not told that directly, we do not receive that. If our minds are not renewed to receive that, we cannot develop our faith. If you have a funny idea that God will teach you a lesson with sickness, you cannot develop your faith for healing. It's impossible. If you've got that lurking suspicion that God doesn't like rich, then you will not develop. You and I will not develop our faith with regard to finances. It's impossible. The devil will rob us and keep us totally poverty-stricken. And he's done it successfully. He's done it successfully. But we need to change the tables. So the first thing you and I need to realize is that faith has to be fed properly. It's very much like the physical body. Strength in the physical body is a very powerful analogy, very similar to developing faith in the spirit man. Faith in the spirit man is the equivalent of strength in the human body. And as we all know, the human body, if it's not fed properly, if we feed ourselves junk food, overload ourselves with sugars and stuff that won't do us any good, we pay the consequences. Our bodies will break down. However, if we feed them good, healthy food, and once again we don't want to go into a big debate on what is the right diet for any individual, but all things that God made are good. Amen. And we need to enjoy everything that God has made. But we need meat. We need strong food that is healthy. And meat is very healthy. And also a good plate of vegetables won't do any harm, but you can't just live on vegetables. Amen. Anyway, let's get on beyond that. As important as food is, spiritual food, the Word of God, Anointed teaching, powerful teaching, uncompromised teaching is for our spirit man. That's not enough. You can sit on a couch and eat the most healthy food your whole life. You will not have much strength. And that leads to the next point. Our faith needs to be exercised. Now, this is where this trial business comes in. And if you and our Christians do not have the right understanding the devil once again will rob us and destroy our lives. Trials do come your way. I don't have to convince anybody about that. Living in this world will bring with it trials and tribulations and temptations. They will come our way. That's the way it is. But you see, the point that we have to make is that if we understand faith and how it grows correctly, those trials, tribulations, temptations are nothing to just bow down and say, oh no, I'm done for. You see, if we have this mentality that what will be will be, if it comes our way, it's God's will, what can I do about it? We will be defeated, and many people have. You see, the trials might come our way. The big issue is what we do in the face of those trials. And here's the choice, you see. If we have the right understanding and the right will, that trial or temptation that comes your way can be turned around and used to develop faith. Used to develop our faith. And you see, if we realize that faith is very precious, if we realize how valuable faith actually is, how much it can do not only for ourselves but for other people, then we rejoice at every opportunity that comes our way to develop it. Let me explain it very simply by the illustration of going to the gym. Now, I don't go to a gym because 
at this stage, the weights I need for exercise I can find in the household. But if you were to go to the gym and you wanted to develop your strength, we want to develop our strength, what would we have to do? We'd have to do exercises that test us, that stretch us. If I were to go to the gym and say, I want dumbbells that are made out of air, balloons basically, they might look like dumbbells, but they're just filled with air. I can put on a good show lifting them for everybody's benefit. And at the end of the day, how much development will I do for my body? Absolutely nothing. Those weights have got to be difficult for me to lift. There's got to be resistance. If there's no resistance, there will be no development of my muscles. No pain, no gain, as they say. You see? The truth of the matter is, your and my faith can only grow in a situation where it looks impossible. Many people want to see signs and wonders. They want to have miracles, etc., operating in their lives. Well, let me just tell you something. The only time a miracle will take place is when you and I put ourselves in an impossible situation. This is what you've got to grasp. So you see, very often when we get into trials and tribulations and difficulties in life. We can throw up our hands and say, oh, well, God's against me. The other big trick of the devil is to say, oh, well, God's punishing me. You see, there's an immediate equation between trials and temptations and difficulties with sin. That's why when the Lord encountered that blind man and sent him off to get healed, the first thing the disciples said to him, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Can you see that? Who sinned? Well, dear God, if you've just been born, how much sin can you commit? Heaven forbid. So it couldn't have been his sin. Whether it was his parents' sin, it's debatable. Listen, these generational curses that can come down on a person. But if you look at the Lord's answer and you analyze it, you realize something. He said it's not relevant who sinned. The issue is the man is blind and God wants to heal him. Glory will come to God by the man being healed. Amen. Glory will come to God by the man being healed. And if you and I spend our time wondering, oh well, what sin caused this? You're not going to get healed. Because God has paid the price for sin. We need to just ask for forgiveness and move on. But it's not sin that keeps us often from being healed. It's lack of faith. Now, sin in our lives can prevent us believing. Yes, that's true. But we deal with the sin. The big issue is you can deal with sin and still have the problem. Amen. Why? God's not looking for us to live righteous, to be healed or to be blessed, etc. It might sound, sound very strange to the religious mind. Yes, those things are very important to God. But what does matter is faith. You can live the most righteous life and die of cancer, can live the most righteous life and live a life of poverty. You see, and it's happened. And people say, oh, well, he was such a righteous man. He was a minister of the religion. Why did God kill him? God didn't kill him. The devil killed him. What was the problem then? He might have lived a righteous life, a life full of integrity, which is a wonderful thing. But perhaps he never developed his faith, never realized that to renew his mind, to realize that sickness was not from God, and yet you actually fight it off. You see, that's what we need to know. Our faith will carry the day. You see, but how does faith grow? 
Faith does not grow in a vacuum. It has to be put to the test. Like gold, if it has to become refined, it's got to be put in the furnace of affliction. The impurities have got to be burnt out, so to speak. And you see, this is what we've got to understand. As children of God, when you and I face various trials, it's a time to rejoice. If we understand that if we have the right attitude, it can develop our faith. It can develop our precious faith. And we'll come through with faith that can help others. A lot of people say to me, oh, you preach too much on faith. What about love? Love's more important. One soul group that I was leading, one of the men said to me, you know, love is the most important thing. And I didn't disagree with him. I couldn't agree with him more. Love is very important. God is love. But just think about it. If you really love somebody and you can't help them, what good are you doing then? Real love actually wants to help people. Amen. And without faith, you can't help anybody. Somebody was telling me about his brother. He was very proud about his brother. Went off in the mission field, very uh, honorable and very self-sacrificially. Went off into the mission field. I think he went off to Lesotho. Went to take the gospel to the people there. And then he said the man really demonstrated great courage and fortitude because he contracted tuberculosis like many of the villagers, and basically survived, just crawled back. Now that's very commendable, his sacrifice, etc. But my point is this, what impact did he have on those villagers? Surely he would have more impact on those people if he had gone there and tuberculosis, he had overcome it, not only overcome it, but prayed for others and got them healed. That would have left an impact. And I know for a fact that the particular denomination that he comes from doesn't teach that at all doesn't teach about divine healing at all. So you see, my point is this. We've got to realize as Christians, faith is valuable, very valuable. It's something to be sought after, not something to be just derided, mocked, or just disdained in any way. It's valuable. We need to go after it with everything we have because it is the power of God to salvation in the earth. It's the answer to our nation's problems. It's the answer to your personal and my personal problems. It's the answer to our family's problems and our country's problems and our communities. Amen. But you see, we've got to realize, and this is why Christians would rather say, oh, well, let God do it. Because to have faith, great faith, it's going to cost us something. And it's going to put us way out of our comfort zone. And the more faith you and I want, the more out of our comfort zone we will be. See, we have to realize that. The world does not understand that. They look at people developing faith and they say, oh, shame, poor person, poor religious freak. Just like they wag their tongues at the Lord on the cross of Calvary. You healed others, why don't you heal yourself? You see, you're talking about prosperity, why are you struggling? You're talking about praying for the sick and healing them, why are you battling? Well, you see, if you and I understand it correctly, battling is part of the process of developing the faith necessary to have the goods to heal and to provide. You see, this is what we've got to grasp. That's why we have to, if we have the right approach, right understanding, count it all joy when we encounter various trials, an opportunity to develop our faith. The examples of this are great in the Bible, but I just want to mention one. And this one is really outstanding. Let's go to 1 Kings 17, 1 to 6. We all know the story of Elijah. All right? 1 Kings 17, 1 to 6. Now, Elijah 
for the first, I don't know how many years of his life, was totally unknown. All right. Obviously, a young man had a call on his life to become a prophet, a prophet of God. Probably lived a very separated life. Growing up, studying the Bible of his day, we would have studied the books of Moses. But there he is, a young man growing up, unknown. Unknown. All right. Israel falls into terrible sin, and he must have been growing up in this environment and every day crying out to God for the salvation of Israel. And God's meanwhile looking at him and saying, you the answer. Anyway, so he's probably got some whiff of the idea that he's got to do a great work, what he doesn't know. And then the Lord says, challenge Ahab. You see, the king responsible. Of course, it was his wife as well, Jezebel. But anyway, Elijah confronts Ahab. And that's the first mention we have of Elijah the Tishbite. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. Now remember, Elijah up to this moment, unheard of. He burst in on the scene. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's quite a statement. He says to Ahab, listen, the weather depends on me. Sort yourself out. Okay. Now, of course, Ahab laughs at him like most people would have. Who's the scruffy villain that's come to interfere with my life? But notice what God does with Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the book Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Now let's just look at this picture and enter into it. Here Elijah is about to deliver Israel, and the instruction from God is, Go and live by the book Cherith. Cherith, by the way, means to cut. That's the essence of the word, the Hebrew word, to separate. So in a sense, God is commanding that Elijah go and live a totally separated life, cut off from society. And for food and drink, you can drink from the brook, that's fine, we can understand that. Not a very nice choice, day in, day out. How would you like your brook water? No carbonated machinery then at all. Couldn't fizzle. So he's got water to drink day in and day out. But fair enough, it's pure water. And as for food, how's this? The ravens will bring you food in the morning and food in the evening. Now just think about it. For three and a half years, day in, day out, waiting for birds to bring you food. I don't know about you, but if I had a choice, personally, I'd rather go and buy my own food from the spot. I mean, what meat and bread can a bird bring? Now, here's the point. He's called by God to save Israel, but he is stuck out in, literally, the back of beyond, and he's totally stripped of any control 
over his own life. You see? He has to depend totally on God and the word that God gave him that the birds would feed him for three and a half years. Just think about it. You see? If he had met Elijah in the middle of the second and a half year, probably be very scorny, and you probably looked at him and said, shame, he's gone bonkers, he's missed it completely. He missed it completely. And Elijah's probably saying to himself, maybe I didn't hear God. Maybe I've gone on the wrong track. Maybe it wasn't for me to save Israel. However, notice something. After that three and a half years, we know the story. Elijah confronts Ahab again through his other servant. And we have this great showdown at Mount Carmel. In that great showdown, Elijah brings down fire from heaven. Literally brings down fire from heaven and turns the whole course of the nation around. Slaughters the prophets of Baal. We know the story and things change from there on. Now that act of bringing fire down from heaven required tremendous faith. You see, without faith, God can't do it. Can I ask you, why didn't God just say, oh, well, call everybody, don't bother about Cherith, just go up the mountain and bring down the fire? The truth of the matter is, had Elijah tried to bring down fire before the Cherith experience, it would not have happened. Amen? If you want to Mount Carmel, you and I have got to go through the brook Cherith. Let me just say that again. If you want the fire to fall on Mount Carmel, we have to be separated for a season by the brook Cherith. What's happening there? And that's what the scripture is about. Where you cannot have any control over your circumstances. Where you have to rely totally on the living God whom we cannot see. And not just the living God, but what he has spoken, what he has said, what he has written. When we can only rely on that. And we don't feel it because, you see, you can't feel faith growing. But in that circumstance, and in that circumstance alone, that's where faith actually grows. This precious faith. There's no other way. There is no other way. You and I can only develop our faith in impossible situations. Impossible to the natural mind. Amen. You see, and if you and I are prepared to put ourselves in that situation, that's when our faith can actually grow. There's no other way. You cannot go to the gym and lift just the dumbbell for three and a half years and expect your muscles to grow. You cannot have a great healing ministry unless you're prepared to confront sickness when it attacks you. Head on with your faith. I'd just like to share, I feel I must share this testimony. A few years ago, my mother is not saved as yet and was doing very well from a pension, etc. Was concerned about Janet and I and the fact that we didn't have a medical aid. Worried her. She said to me, look, I'm prepared to pay for all the tests that you need and everything. I'm prepared to pay for you to have a medical aid. 
full medical cover. And I said to you, thank you very much. I'll come back to you. We prayed about it. And the Lord actually said, no, don't do it. I said to her, we don't need medical aid. We have a medical aid. And I said, through the church. <laughs> she didn't understand what I meant by the church. But I was meaning that God is our medical aid. Anyway, as many of you know, about four months ago, I contracted the difficulty physically, which necessitated hospitalization and great expense. And uh, I won't go into details, many of you know about it, but the doctor that I was dealing with there, a very fine physician, specialist physician, said to me, if you're on medical aid, the minute we diagnosed what we did, I'd have sent you straight to theater, had big lumps in my legs cut open and drained, and put on a drip for at least three weeks, put in intensive care for at least three weeks. If that had happened, I would have had these terrible wounds in my legs, I would have had to probably be in a wheelchair for months, had tremendous scars on my legs, etc. Anyway, but because we didn't have medical aid, he said, I can't do that, and I'm just going to have to do the best I can with antibiotics that you take orally. He was very worried about it. He thought he was sending me home to my death. But I said, don't worry, doctor. The last words I said to him leaving the hospital, don't worry, I serve a big God. The God I serve is very big. He said, oh yes, no, no, I know, I know, I know. Complete atheist, you see. Anyway, the long and the short of it is God did a miracle. And um, within weeks I was very well recovering. And um, I managed to eventually, the final visitation of the doctor marched into the office, he said to me, this is a mystery, and he gave me a full bill of health. And on the way out, I just said to him, one thing I thank God for is I didn't have a medical aid. He didn't have any words to say about that. Now let me just add something to this whole story. Subsequent, my mother had physical difficulties, and she's now struggling because she's physically well, but the medication she needs and the f facilities she needs costs her about 15,000 rand a month. What I'm trying to say is, if we had taken the medical aid, which would have cost her at least 10,000 rand a month, we wouldn't have got through this medical problem without tremendous expenses. I mean, theatre alone, the doctor told me, costs 500 rand a minute. Just 500 rand, just for theatre alone let alone the specialists and all the medication. It would cost a fortune. And my mother now would be saddled with that, plus her own medical aid, plus her own medical expenses, and our medical aid. She would never have been able to have done it. You understand? So we made a choice. But why did we make the choice? I'll tell you the heart of the choice that we made right at the beginning is, we have to, in our position, if we want to pray for the sick, we have to trust God. That's not the way everybody else goes about it, please. I mean, not dictating that everybody wants to develop their faith must do it that way. But that's what, what God wanted us to do. And let me tell you, we developed our faith. And at the end of the day, it was the word, faith and prayer that carried me through. Amen. What am I saying? Brothers and sisters, this Christian life is not easy if we really want to make a difference. You can be the most wonderful Christian. You can be the most eloquent preacher, you can have a following on internet of millions of people 
and please all those things are good. But at the end of the day, what's really going to make a difference in your life and my life on this earth, on this earth, is the level of our faith. The substance of faith that is operating in our lives in every area. And I'm encouraging us to have courage and realize, listen, we've got to take the bull by both horns. And if we want to be effective, we have to, have to, have to develop our faith. Develop our faith by renewing our minds. What is the truth of God's word? God is a good God. He's able to heal. All things are possible to him who believes. All things. Blanket check are available to him who believes. However, for us to really believe, that faith is going to be tested. And it's only when it is tested, it's only when it undergoes terrible trials, when things look impossible and yet, like Abraham, we choose to hope where there is no hope. Hope against hope. We believe in God. We confess what God has said in the face of all obstacles. It's only in that impossible situation that your and my precious faith actually grows. But let me just tell you, God always comes through. Let me just say, God always comes through. And it is worth it. It is worth it. And please, once again, it's not just about us. If you and I have faith, real, real, God-tried, tested, and powerful faith, there's nothing that we cannot do for other people that will extend the precious kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Praise God.